MRA News. I'm Bob Levicky. The legacy of Farmville civil rights icon Barbara Rose Johns is one step closer to becoming a national monument. An effort in the General Assembly to limit local opposition to solar projects has failed. And Jeff Shapiro will join us for a review of this week in the session. And we profile an artist whose work will soon be on display in the valley where he was born and raised. This is the WMRA Daily for Friday, March 1st. Virginia's Barbara Rose Johns and Reuben Lawson are both closer to national recognition for their contributions to civil rights. Cardinal News reports that, if approved by a federal commission, a statue of Johns will replace one of Confederate General Robert E. Lee at the National Statuary Hall. Johns became famous when she led a 1951 student strike for equal access to education in Farmville. Lawson was a lawyer who helped integrate several Southwest Virginia school districts. If approved by Congress, Roanoke's federal courthouse will be renamed in his honor. Now on to the General Assembly. Efforts to allow more solar panel placement across Virginia failed to sway lawmakers this session. Charlottesville Senator Cree Deeds and others sought to supersede local efforts to block solar projects. Virginia Public Radio's Brad Kuttner reports. The counties, there is a thousand ways they can kill these projects. That's Southwest Virginia Senator Travis Hackworth, who is one of the few Republican supporters of a bill that would have limited local authority to deny solar projects. This just simply says they cannot say to a property owner in that county, we're not even looking at it. While the state's 2020 Clean Economy Act demands an increase in solar across the Commonwealth, a growing movement in local governments is pushing back on such development. But Henrico County Senator Schuyler Van Volkenberg's bill, as described by Hackworth, would block a locality from being able to issue such blanket bans. I'm worried that if we don't do the work we need to to get solar on the ground, uh, we're going to end up with more dirty energy. But pushback was too strong and the support for not meddling in local authority too organized. Among complainants was the Virginia Association of Counties, a lobbying group that aims to keep local authority. They noted over 260 solar projects which may have been impacted by Van Volkenberg's bill had been approved and that his effort was instead a solution in search of a problem. Charlottesville Senator Cree Deeds had a bill which would have empowered Virginia's State Corporation Commission to place solar projects even if a locality disagreed. He too pointed to the state's Clean Economy Act as a mandate. We have to get it figured out. We have to. Local governments in the state have to work together to get it figured out, and we will. Deed's bill died earlier this session. Van Volkenberg's was killed Wednesday morning. Both promised to return to address the issue next year. In Richmond, I'm Brad Kuttner. A House committee voted to reconsider the bill next year. A bill that would protect employee pay if a person needs extended leave to care for a family member has passed both chambers of the General Assembly. The Richmond Times-Dispatch reports the paid family leave proposal guarantees up to 80% of an employee's pay over eight weeks. A new state trust fund would be created to cover costs. It would be funded by employers and payroll taxes. Currently, federal law grants unpaid leave for new parents and those caring for family members who are ill. The 2024 General Assembly session boasts the largest number of women in the history of the governing body. Virginia Public Radio's Michael Pope takes a look at the numbers. 
2024 is the 100-year anniversary of the first female lawmakers walking into the House of Delegates and taking a seat of power. In 1924, Helen Henderson of Buchanan County and Sarah Lee Fain of Norfolk made history as the first ever lady lawmakers in Virginia. You could say that Helen was from the Piedmont and Sarah was from you know urban tidewater. So you do have that urban-rural representation together between the two of them. That's Mark Greenow, historian of the Virginia State Capitol. They created a momentum where six women were able to serve up until the 1930s. So they're the first two, but uh, between 1924 and the early 1930s, there were a total of six women in the House. You won't find a lady lawmaker uh, going into the halls of the Senate until 1980. This year, Virginia has 45 female lawmakers. That's one-third of the General Assembly, the largest number of women to ever serve in the House and the Senate. Reporting from the Capitol in Richmond, I'm Michael Pope. Republican presidential hopeful Nikki Haley made a campaign stop at a hotel in Henrico on Thursday to rally support for her party's nomination. Haley took shots at both President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump. She told the hundreds of people in attendance that Both represented, quote, more of the same. Many people who attended the event described themselves as undecided or independent voters. Ken Beach is a disabled veteran and a Haley supporter. He admitted she has an uphill climb for the nomination. It's unfortunate. I I feel like Americans have difficulty looking past the limelight and trying to find the soul of the candidate. And I think uh, Nikki's soul is pretty deep for this country. I mean, she's a child of migrants coming in and she's worked really hard her entire life. She's pro-business. Trump, the Republican frontrunner, is set to appear at the Greater Richmond Convention Center for his own rally on Saturday. Virginia's presidential primary is Tuesday. And speaking of Super Tuesday, Virginia's presidential primary and the end of the General Assembly session are rapidly approaching. Jeff Shapiro, political columnist at the Richmond Times-Dispatch, joins Michael to recap the week in politics and state government. Next week is the big day, Super Tuesday. Jeff Shapiro, what are we expecting to happen in Virginia? Uh, Not a lot. Not a lot at all. Um, Joe Biden is going to win the Democratic primary. Donald Trump is going to win the Republican primary. That doesn't mean that the presidential candidates on the Republican side aren't paying attention to blue-trending Virginia. Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, sort of the last challenger standing to Donald Trump uh, in Virginia on Thursday. Trump will be in Virginia on Saturday. Uh, All of this uh, really uh, intended to rally the troops. I think what's really interesting, particularly uh, the Haley candidacy, is you're seeing sort of the remnants of the of the establishment Republican ilk uh, rallying behind her. Uh, Trump, with his uh, populist appeal, clearly remains a uh, a favorite of uh, of the Republican, the principal Republican base. All right, so as the General Assembly session winds to a close next weekend, the politics are getting fierce around the proposal to put an arena in Alexandria. So there has been some discussion about the governor sweetening the deal for Senate Finance Chairwoman Luis Lucas by tripling the amount of toll relief in her region. You and I were speaking to her on the Senate floor yesterday, and she is not buying this deal. Uh, Luis Lucas making the point that uh, she's playing a long game, that she's carved out of 
the Senate version of the budget, what she needs to provide in total relief for her constituents in Southampton Roads, pointing out that her term extends beyond Glenn Youngkin's and that she can use those uh, those years to uh, uh, accumulate a greater relief uh, for for her constituents. Uh, she remains adamantly opposed to the, the Glen Dome, but uh, the governor's offer is clearly intended as a sweetener. There are lots of other things for which she is uh, uh, looking, including that commercial cannabis market, also a bump up in the Virginia minimum wage. So one of the issues that has yet to be resolved in this General Assembly session is what happens with these so-called skill games. I know you call them electronic gambling machines. There's a House version that's kind of strict. There's a Senate version that's kind of loose. The governor has concerns about both. Are they going to strike a deal on this? Uh, You know, one would think that the governor is really going to have the last word on this, that the House and Senate will be eager to get something to the governor. But as you point out, the governor has, as uh, his spokesman has put it, uh, concerns. That's... How should they be regulated? How many machines should be permitted? And more importantly, how many of them should be taxed? Uh, this is one of those fights that's going to go down to the wire. And so one of the things that's going to happen uh, after the General Assembly gavels out of session and leaves town is the governor is going to consider all these bills on everything from marijuana to paid family and medical leave. What are we expecting from the governor? Uh, Well, you know, sitting here in Capitol Square where we have all sorts of monuments, uh, including one to uh, the civil rights heroes and civil war figures, including Stonewall Jackson, uh, maybe the governor's veto is a, a stone wall of sorts because, of course, Uh, The Democrats don't have the votes to override it, and that may mean uh, the death knell for paid family leave. It may mean the death knell for the uh, commercial cannabis market, as uh, well as other proposals. All right, that's all the time that we've got for this week. Coming to you from Capitol Square, my name is Michael Pope, and we've been joined by Jeff Shapiro of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Talk to you next week, which will be our last week here for the General Assembly. Fingers crossed. Finally today, the work of an artist who made his name in Richmond and the Southern rock scene will soon be on display in the Valley, where he was born and raised. WMRA's Randy B. Hagee reports. The evocative art on the record, A Blessing and a Curse by the Drive-By Truckers, features an eerie black bird, gnarled branches, and ornate lettering. Hallmarks of Wes Freed, the Cremora-born artist and musician whose work has graced most of the band's albums since 2001. Rolling Stone called his style ominous and gothic. A new exhibit of Freed's work opens at the Art Hive Collective in Stanton on Friday and will be up for the month of March. Freed passed away in 2022 at age 58 after a battle with cancer, and the proceeds from this show will benefit an endowed scholarship fund that's been set up in his name. In the spirit of our friend Wes Freed, who was... I mean, just an enormous personality, but very humble at the same time. Really, this idea originated through wanting to keep his spirit alive, keep his name alive, keep his, his love alive, and really pay it forward to the next generation of you know kids that might be in a similar situation as he. Cassandra Gratton, one of the organizers behind the group Friends of Wes Freed, explained that the fund will help other creative kids attend Freed's alma mater, VCU Arts. It's currently about halfway to its goal of $50,000. He would be really pleased to see that, you know, other kids are getting help, that they're getting the support. She met Freed in college when they were part of a cohort of young artists. 
the whole VCU community at the time. You know, we had the Village Cafe and Gray Street was a different beast. And, you know, it really had a different soul to the city. And it was a very large extended family of just kind of nuts and weirdos and very creative juices around. Freed was a 1982 graduate of Fort Defiance High School in Augusta County, where his creative talents already shone. He loved any time he had a chance and he was just sitting, he would sketch whatever was around him. I mean, the look that he had with his stuff recently is exactly the, the look that he had back then. That style, you know, started out like that and just got better and better through the years. Aaron Blevins, then Aaron Umberger, met Freed at a party when she was a freshman and he was a junior in high school. We just started talking and he, at that time, had had a broken leg from being stepped on by a cow, I think. And at that time, he was a typical cowboy. He wore a cowboy hat, cowboy boots. But yeah, back then he was in the FFA. He grew up on a farm. He was into art. And then later on, he got more into music. Him and some friends started a band called The Victims, a high school band. And he did that. And then he kind of went from a cowboy to leather pants wearing man. They dated for two years, parting ways after he went to college. Blevins remembers The Victims covering the Ramones, Police, Sex Pistols, a lot of the punk rock era. One of the favorite places to play was where we actually met was at our friend David Powers' house. His family would let them play on the front porch. They played at the high school. They played a couple local areas as well. She still has a portrait Freed drew of her in the back of one of their high school yearbooks. Ever the Southern gentleman, Freed continued to visit her family after their breakup. He was the kind of guy that would give the shirt off his back. Friends were very important. Family was very important. Didn't ask for much, didn't need much, but just wanted people to appreciate his, his artistry. An opening reception will be held from 5 to 7 p.m. on Friday at the Art Hive Collective. Prints and t-shirts will be available for purchase to benefit the scholarship fund. For WMRE News, I'm Randy B. Hagee. Visit WMRA.org or the app to see pictures of Freed and his work. For WMRA News, I'm Bob Levicky. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy your Friday.